Hello and welcome to Culture Illiterate, a podcast where four friends overthink comic book movies and where I am once again taking control and reading the intro. I am the first of your hosts, Jake, and my fact is that I love the Nicole Kidman AMC Theaters intro, and I have no interest in being friends with you if you do not love it. And uh, with me are my co-hosts. I'm Jason. I'm Matt. My fun fact is I am tired, but Australia is apparently wider than the moon. Don't quote me on that. I'm just getting this from a Google fact. You know what's wider than the moon? Wider than the moon. That's what it says. <laughs> Thanks, Matt. Uh, anyway, so I, I am Sean. My fun fact is that I have a spastic colon. Take with that what you will. It means he can't shit. I feel like I have the most energy of all of us, which is good, because it'll allow me to get back to my old dominating ways. Let's get into it, because I don't feel like uh, this is very <laughs> engaging. I think we suck tonight. Um, I was going to say, actually, real quick, um, throw out Rapid Fire 3 Rex, Fall, Beast, Bodies, 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 three good, like, horror slash thriller movies, um, all really, really simple, though Bodies, Bodies, Bodies in kind of a different way than Fall and Beast are, but they're just a good time. None of them overstay their welcome. I think Bodies, Bodies, Bodies is really, really good uh, satire, and then Fall and Beast are just a good, simple, like, you know kind of man versus nature type of shit so all of those i saw all three of those this week um so they're all pretty good like not too time consuming tense movies i i know nothing about fall other than it's a guy falling but how is that man versus nature two women falling is it just man versus gravity gravity? is nature (laughs) is it just man versus gravity how else would you describe it i don't know it's not man versus self it's not man versus when i think of nature i think more of an environmental theme than i do a man falling even though yes that is true that that i guess would technically be just man versus nature it's just the funny thought my my point is like bodies 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 is different while it also kind of has a simple plot and set up it's different than fallen beasts which have this basic like human being against just a natural thing to be like giant lion giant fall like it's not (laughs) giant lion giant gravity (laughs) jason fell asleep during beast it's actually very good jason was just very tired it's actually a quite enjoyable movie i also have a rec for this week and i'll recommend it uh on the back of it not being available anymore uh in available fin- legally available legally infinity train go check it out it's fantastic i want everybody who can possibly go and see it to see it even though it got canceled and i'm sad but uh, and also the fact that it's getting so heavily shafted throughout its entire existence by everything and everyone who made it a thing to begin with uh it it's such a great show it's a great little animated thing from Cartoon Network that later moved on to HBO Max and then got kicked off of HBO Max, and now the only way you can find it is illegally, so I recommend surfing the seas for that boy. Support animation in general yes. while you're at it. Please do. Jesus Christ. Yeah, they're not doing so great right now. Fuck Warner Brothers Discovery. Fuck, what's his name? David Zaslav. Fucking yes. dumbass piece of his shit. His name doesn't Fuck Netflix. Matter. Fuck all most, cor- well, fuck all corporations, but in particular right now, fuck warner discovery um and fuck him fuck corporations matt you got any recommendations no i think he died well um i (laughs) my brain short circuited for a second um so this episode we're talking about batman forever it was released uh june 16th 1995 written by lee bachelor janet scott bachelor akiva goldsman and directed by joel schumacher and shot by stephen goldblatt it stars Val Kilmer as Bruce Wayne's last slash, my God, 
Batman, which actually throw in one real quick wreck real quick. Watch Val, a great documentary about Val Kilmer. Uh, really emotional. Tommy Lee Jones as Two-Face, Jim Carrey as the Riddler, and AMC A-list icon and cinema icon Nicole Kidman as Dr. Chase Meridian, Chris O'Donnell as Robin slash Dick Grayson, and Michael Goh as Alfred Pennyworth. Have you guys all seen this movie before? I had seen it several times. I've seen it many, many times. Many, many times. I remember seeing it a lot when I was little and also as a teenager, just because it's a beautiful movie. No. <laughs> no. Wait, this was your first time watching this? Yes. Oh, wow. Okay, that'll be interesting because I am a noted defender of the Joel Schumacher Batman movies, and I'll get into specifics of why, but my real quick thesis before we get into um, the plot summary, and I'm not defending it ironically. I don't think it's like so bad it's good. Uh, I think it's just straight up good. I think I prefer the Burton movies, and if you go in looking for a Burton movie, you're gonna really dislike it and be disappointed. But ultimately, the true Maka movies, this and what we'll talk about um, at another time, Batman and Robin, are Batman six, the Adam West Batman on a budget. That's what it is. It is Adam West Batman, but you pumped a bunch of money into it, and I think when you watch it in that mindset, it's really enjoyable. Um, so without further ado, the plot kicks off in Gotham City with a costume with costume vigilante Batman diffusing a hostage situation orchestrated by criminal a criminal known as Two Face. Uh, former District Attorney Harvey Dent. Flashbacks reveal that Two Face was dis- disfigured with acid by mob kingpin Salvatore Maroni which Batman failed to prevent, causing Dent to develop a split personality. Edward Nygma, an eccentric researcher at Wayne Enterprises, approaches his employer, Bruce Wayne, Batman's secret identity, I don't know why this plot summary includes that, as if anyone doesn't know, with an invention that can beam television signals straight into a person's brain. Bruce rejects the device, concerned the technology can manipulate minds. After killing his supervisor and staging it as a suicide, Nygma resigns and plots revenge against Bruce, sending him riddles. Criminal psychologist Dr. Chase Meridian diagnoses Nygma as a psychologist. Right off the bat, I think we have to talk about Tommy Lee Jones and Jim Carrey in their respective roles. Um, specifically, I think Tommy Lee Jones is great of an actor as he is. Straight up sucks as Two-Face. Um, he could have maybe done a good serious one, but he's just trying to be goofy and it does not work. We were robbed of Billy D. Williams, Two-Face. It's fucked up that they recast Billy D. Williams, especially since this movie is technically supposed to be in the same continuity, or at least originally. Um... Would have loved to see him actually get to play the Two-Face side of things after being Harvey Dent in the previous films. I gotta say, he doesn't really have the split personality. It's just mostly him being goofy Two-Face and just being evil and just doing things, you know what I'm trying to say? Like He, he, he talks like we and us, like there's multiple personalities, but he's always really, he's pretty much almost always, if not always, over-the-top, campy two-face which yeah. is also again a weird direction to he's, take that he's always playing a villain and tell the truth like he just doesn't play the role well tony jones is a great actor but man he does not you know do over the top well he's trying to out jim carrey jim carrey from the get-go and that's just never gonna work out yeah that, that's a recipe for disaster yeah I that's mean, what i was gonna say is like it's not only is he not great at being over the top he's playing alongside someone who is known for being like the guy to do over the top kind of shit and it's just when you have when you have him going up against that it just doesn't work because jim carrey's jim carrey and he's fucking fantastic at that yeah i mean it also would have been nicer to see him like be super serious next to jim carrey because then it just makes it funnier 
and it makes all those over-the-top moments have more, like, weight to them, I guess, if that's the best way to put it. It's a common character dynamic, but it's common for a reason. It's tried and true to have the, the straight man and the, you know, the more over-the-top guy, and I think that would have worked a lot better. <laughs> I thought you guys were going to pick up and run with that, but it's fine. No, um, I, I just, Jim Carrey is just so good at, at being the Riddler. It's like, you, you can't. It's like trying to, you know, you're trying to beat someone at the game that they created, almost. You know what I mean? From, like From the start, Carrie's operating at an 11, and he never stops. And it's it's something that, again, I, I it is a particular version of the Riddler. There's a lot of avenues you could take this char- that character, like a lot of Batman characters. But for what they're doing, Carrie's perfect for it. But I just, I don't think anything about Two-Face. Having the origin be shown off screen after, it, it's, it's just all around just kind of a mishandling of that. Um, and in general, other than you could really remove Two-Face from the movie for the most part in general, because really you could just change it, the, the Robin origin, jumping ahead to just Riddler is the guy that he's after instead of Two-Face. So the, there's really nothing interesting or fun about the character. Yeah, it kind of felt almost like they just wanted two villains in it. And they didn't put any, like, they put all the care and attention into, like, doing the Riddler exactly how they wanted to do the Riddler. And then, as far as the other villain went, they were just like, oh, well, Two-Face is a prominent Batman villain. It would have been so much better if Tommy Lee Jones just played, like, a straightforward character. He just played, like, an evil, straight-up evil character. Because then he'll play off Jim Carrey so much better. Because, you know, he'll be, like, the straightforward evil guy. Or Jim Carrey is just so over the top. They'll have, like, more fun banter that way. But instead we get, you know... Jim Carrey and Tom Lee Jones trying to beat Jim Carrey and it's just not not as fun as you think it will be thank you for taking the words out of my mouth Matt you're very much welcome it would even be better if they just had him actually you know have two different personalities so you had maybe a goofier side and a serious side but there's also ways to have him be campy and goofy in a different direction than what Carrey's doing but they're going the exact same way and it's too much of one thing it also just feels so weird because he feels like it feels like they wrote in Two-Face on top of them just having what would have been in the beginning some generic mob boss kind of guy who's just causing shit and Batman's just there and that's the introduction to the to Batman in this movie and it's just it it feels like they wanted something that was a little bit more prominent to give like the beginning of the film a bit more of a oomph to it while Jim Carrey is working his way up to becoming the Riddler throughout but it just doesn't it doesn't work well and it just kind of comes off as weird because as soon as you get to the point where Riddler is Riddler Two-Face takes a backseat more than anything else and isn't really the he all he does is stir shit more than he causes anything like prominent to happen yeah that that's what i mean is like it it feels like you could replace two-face with like any generic villain and the movie functions the same like it there's nothing about it that is two-face you know it's just like riddler's there and he's like the main guy and then two-face is just kind of there because they needed a second guy they also waste drew barrymore who plays like one of Riddler, I mean, sorry, one of Two Face's two girlfriends, and is just kind of she has like three lines, maybe, <laughs> and it's just kind of weird that it's Drew Barrymore. Also, uh, here's another fun fact: Tommy Lee Jones hates Jim Carrey. Now, where did you read that? Jim Carrey talked about. I saw Jim Carrey talk about it on um, some like show he did with Norm Macdonald. Rest in peace, Norm Macdonald. Um, and then I, I looked uh, into it. You can Google it if you just Google like Tommy Lee Jones, Jim Carrey beef. There's like articles about it yeah he jim carrey has talked about it yeah i just didn't know
know where it came from. So Bruce attends a Haley Circus event with uh, Chase. Weird first date. He also has to do rock climbing for a second date. I don't, this guy doesn't get out enough. Bruce asks Chase on another date, but she professes to be romantically interested in Batman instead. Two-Face hijacks the event and threatens to detonate a bomb unless Batman surrenders. Dick Grayson, the youngest member of the Flying Graysons, manages to throw the bomb into the river, but Two-Face kills his family. Bruce persuades orphan, the orphan to Dick to live at Wayne Manor as his ward, and Dick discovers Bruce as Batman. So then another, I know I talked about how I'm a defender of this movie, but I'm going to kind of like, right now the stuff we're talking about is, like the negatives to me coming up first i'm not a fan of an older robin i think it doesn't make any sense to this guy who is seemingly college aged if you want to give so much better than that like 17 but looks definitely college aged at least needs to be taken in and adopted and it's just a general robin should be a kid he's supposed to be a kid yeah it's weird that he's not he i don't sh- like that he shouldn't I, be riding in a motorcycle by himself you know what i'm trying to say yeah i i completely agree and i think especially like not to get too much too much ahead of myself but in the following movie in this series with george clooney like george clooney looks a little bit older um so it's a little less weird but it's like in this one i feel like val kilmer and chris o'donnell like they just look like almost the same age like they look like they could work together it's no disrespect to chris o'donnell i feel like if you had him play like a night like a nightwing in this world an older version of that character actually could work well but he should not begin like we should not be introduced to robin at that age yeah i i think it's really bizarre that they went that way i don't like it i don't think that's how that character should be portrayed and i have another minor gripe the other one is that we had to get into like you know batman's tragic backstory again we have to know that his parents are dead and it's weird because um when he's having his flashback he was just he was saying alfred it happened again two bullets i'm just like wait it's not two bullets because the way two-face killed dick grayson's parents is by shooting a fucking tommy gun straight up and like uh what was it he like he shot all the wiring off right and they all fell to their deaths yeah, he was spraying, it was like spraying Tommy gun fire, and he, they dropped down because there's no net from the stunt. I kind of also, side note, wish we would have heard the thud of them landing. Not even trying to be funny, I just feel like it would have been more impactful while we're on the topic. <laughs> with, you know, with the themes of the film and the tone, it would have been like, something around that. So, determined to avenge his family, Dick demands that Bruce let him join Batman in crime fighting, hoping to kill Two-Face, but Bruce refuses, telling Dick that such an act would only make his pain worse. This internal struggle um, as to why Bruce feels compelled to continue as Batman even after the death of Joker has been giving Bruce nightmares, for which he's been seeing he begins seeing Dr. Meridian, huge fucking conflict of interest. Uh, she gives him a Malaysian dream warden, which is believed to uh, keep bad dreams away. Yeah, like Matt said, they really linger on the whole murder of the Waynes and Bruce's trauma in a way that's kind of unappealing for what is supposed to be the third version, of, like the third Batman film in this continuity. Um, I know obviously it kind of like later down the line almost gets looked as separate from the Burton movies, but still at the time of creation, that's the intent. And we don't need to be redoing that shit. We just don't. That's kind of weird. I just don't, I don't see the reason why they would choose to focus on it. Uh, Like I, I, the the only reason I could genuinely see is them trying to give the connection between him and Robin, obviously, but it's like, there's no need because we already have that inclination from the past two films. And if you're not, if you're not going to consider it a part of those two films, then it makes sense. But you consider it a part of those 
two first films to begin with so it's just like it i i don't know what purpose it serves to continually focus and bring that to light when it's like okay i get it i've already seen this and i know that part of that is also the bias of we've seen so many batman movies at this point uh all all of them included but even even not including that this isn't that even if this was a reboot it's not that long after 89 yeah but even then it's like yeah that's why it's like i i i know there's some bias in it of me being like ugh, i hate this but i also understand that it's like no they shouldn't have just they you could have just it, it just needed a little one-off thing you could have just said that like i don't honestly it could have just been something small instead of multiple scenes of him being like oh no my parents have died oh somebody dropped a rose my my dead parents yeah it's just weird because it's like batman's origin is so well known that it's like at this point you know at the time of making it you're three deep and you're not giving the the watcher credit to you know if you just made a reference i think anyone would be able to be like oh yeah he sympathizes with him because he's also an orphan and batman 89 is six years ago and was a cultural phenomenon people don't need to be reminded even back then let alone watching back to Sean's credit is what you were saying is like even without the context of how many times we've seen it today it was too much back then and it also gets into the weird territory of them like blocking out the guy who plays young Jack Nichols like it's like this movie's like references that Dent existed previously it references Catwoman and the events of 89 and things like that but also Tommy Lee Jones is Two-Face now and the origins like, like it's just it's really weird that they like didn't the the attempt like the half-hearted attempt to make it the third one in a trilogy but also not really continuing any of the threads from the first two after Burton and Keaton left um and the only thing that really Michael Go was Alfred and I I can't remember the guy's name but the guy plays Commissioner Gordon I believe is the same too or like really the only things in common and a little bit of the city aesthetic but I want to get into that later so uh Enigma inspired by Two-Face adopts a criminal persona the Riddler and allies with Two-Face. Two-Face agrees to help Riddler steal production capital to finance Nygma's new company, Nygma Tech. In exchange, uh, in exchange, the Riddler promises to help deduce the identity of Batman so Two-Face can get revenge. They commit a series of robberies to finance Nygma's new company and help mass-produce his brainwave device, The Box, which steals information from users' minds and transfers it into Nygma's, which makes him smarter but slowly begins to damage his mind in the process. Yet again... The main store device is represented by a sex object. Yeah, we were talking about that while we were watching how in Supergirl there is the um, magic vibrator that causes the hole in Argo City and leads to the actual plot starting. It wasn't a vibrator. It was like a little drill wand that went... Yeah, that's a vibrator, buddy. (laughs) Never mind. And then this has a another oblong device that is used for what we just talked about which is a very goofy silly plan but i think it fits very well with the general tone of the movie so where were we (laughs) i i i I had something to say and then matt started talking about vibrators and now i'm so thrown off Um, (laughs) i liked that it also looked like a blender it looks i think that fits so well it's the dumbest part of it but i love the fact that it just looks like he took a blender and put glass on it and was like here is my tv box i will suck the and i will suck your fucking brainwaves it, it literally looks like like it's from a home movie where like oh we need something that looks vaguely like some kind of evil device just just tape the blender on here and you know we'll get some glass on either side of it you know what it reminds me of it reminds me of codename kids next door and all of the shit that they made like out of household objects it's just that oh yeah (laughs) they took a blender (laughs) 
I like most of the design choices in this movie. This movie has its aesthetic. It is a super camp aesthetic, and it sticks to it. It is very, very into what it looks like. Um, and I think it's kind of just a blast, and I really appreciate it. Yeah, it's oh, yeah. so gay. So gay. Okay, well, yeah, we've been, like, dogging on this film a little bit, but we did enjoy it. Not, let's not get that out yeah it's one not. of those things it's just as you kind of talk about some like i just think the way this plot summary is broken down it kind of hits on the things that aren't as enjoyable um because i think some of when you look at it plot wise, a lot of what's enjoyable about this movie is more in the abstract it is in the style it is in the joel schumacher incredible director very very gay man and we need to let more gay people make batman movies there just, is a lot of more sexual tension gay people between. make movies in general mm-hmm there's a lot of sexual tension between Enigma and Two-Face in this movie. Oh, they, they definitely pound I, it. I can say that I appreciate heavily that they've kept all three Batman movies horny. Yeah. In this oh, series. This is so this fucking one, horny. This, this and one, this one, I appreciated it took a different route. This one was much more homoerotic. This, yes, it, I, I definitely appreciated that. I say what you will, but bat nipples are my favorite. Oh, but at the same time... The Cold Kidman's character is just so fucking horny for Batman. Like the second, the second time they met, uh, the Cold Kidman's character turned on the signal to meet up with him, and she tries to seduce him, which almost worked by like taking her cloak off and revealed she only had like a like like what was it like a like a top like a bra and, and my, the bat- little like velvet slip oh so a batman was looking down mouth gaping open he what he liked what he saw and it they were about to do it and then gordon comes in with his pajamas and ruins the sexual attention should've, he should have kept going gordon gordon becomes <laughs> gordon you have to watch gordon jump in <laughs> i wanted to pull up while we're on this topic of conversation um a quote that i really love from grant morrison um grant morrison if you don't know they are arguably i think the greatest comic book writer of all time um they are i would say for sure the greatest batman writer of all time if your answer is frank miller congrats you're so edgy um and you're wrong so grant morrison has they have a very long um very acclaimed very beloved run on batman and part of like the general gist of it is that you can't all of batman is valid you can't erase the ultra dark stuff and you can't erase the the 60s stuff and rainbow zurinar batman and shit like that um so they have a quote that's uh i'm gonna read here it's he's very plutonian in the sense that he's wealthy and also in the sense that he's sexually deviant gayness is built into batman i'm not using gay in the pejorative sense but batman is very very gay there's just no denying it obviously as a fictional character he's intended to be heterosexual but the whole base of the basis of the concept is utterly gay i don't think that's why people i think that's why people like it all these women fancy him, and they all wear fetish clothes and jump around on the rooftops to get him, but he doesn't care. He's more interested in hanging out with the old guy and the kid. And that's it. I mean, you had old Batman comics that were, they actually ran into issues because Batman and Robin slept in the same bed together, and then you started getting people speculating on them being gay and Robin being a child, and then you have to age up Robin. Um, and it is just general speculation. In the 1960s Batman show and movie, Aunt Harriet was a character that was created because it would have been taboo to have him living alone in a house with two men without for them. Like it would have been perceived because, and I mean, so it's, there's certain two men in the same house. They must be having sex. And this coming from, and again, this quote is coming from Grant Morrison, who they are a non-binary queer person and probably the best Batman writer ever. Maybe this is the best comic writer ever. In my opinion, I think 
Schumacher is the only filmmaker so far who has adopted Bat- adapted Batman who has understood that element of the character and embraced it, including um, the people involved with 60s West, because at the time it was kind of more uh, that the queerness of that was definitely less intentional than it is here keep batman gay and that needs to be leaned into more just saying uh so at a party hosted by enigma an updated and improved version of the box is revealed that it can project fantasies not just television programs directly into the human mind bruce deduces that if enigma can project fantasies into his mind he could also extract thoughts memories and information out of the mind bruce disables the box and attempts to investigate but the villains turn on the machine while bruce is inside while the box is mapping Bruce's mind, an impatient Two-Face crashes the event in an attempt to draw out Batman. Bruce changes into his suit as Batman pursues Two-Face through Gotham. In an abandoned subway, he is om- almost killed by Two-Face, but say ultimately saved by Dick Grayson. Uh, at the urging of his butler and father figure, Alfred, Bruce disguised as Batman Ch- visits Chase to profess his feelings for her. However, Chase explains that she's fallen in love with Bruce now. Uh, as Bruce, he invites her over to Wayne Manor to reveal to her his secret identity however the riddler and two-face having discovered bruce's secret through the box invade wayne manor assault alfred blow up the Batcave, cave shoot bruce get kidnapped chase as bruce recovers he and alfred deduce that enigma is the riddler when they figure out the final riddle, final clue to his riddle in retaliation for the attack bruce sets off sets off to save chase and fight the riddler and two-face when dick approaches him in the Batcave, cave offering his assistance bruce finally accepts dick as batman's partner robin i think the most fun part of the movie like the highlight scene is riddler blowing up the Batcave, cave just throwing bombs everywhere and making puns to himself with all these silly sound effects and you could just really feel like that's what's go no sound effects are what's happening in his head like when he's he's hearing the wind-up music as he throws the bomb like a baseball and he's hearing the like plops and everything um and that's ultimately the reason i'm come down so positively on this movie is i think it's fun i think it's a good time like i said i think it is nose what it is and isn't trying to be anything more it's not some masterpiece but nor was i don't think it's as good as the 60s batman at being what that is but i think that's what it's aiming for and for my money it achieves it more often than not yeah i'd say like my the biggest thing that makes it a positive for me is that like you can tell that the goofy heart is there the goofy heart is what i want the goofy heart is what i was given it was just it I, it feels like it's harkening back to those Batman 66 days, and I kind of appreciate that a lot, given, like, I, I don't know how to feel about it in the context of what we've had in the past prior to this movie, specifically the, the first two Batman movies, but I think what I love about it, at the very least, is just how hard it leans into it and how much it tends to understand it, and while I will ding the movie a little bit that it has a lot of periods in between those goofy moments where i find it to be a little bit boring just because they don't have much filling up that space and it's either weird sexual tension which is fine or just stuff that really doesn't matter again like we said things like you know learning about bruce wayne's parents again or weird shit that tommy lee jones happens to be doing at the time of you know whatever's going on so, like, th- there are some boring parts in there, but a lot of the goofy stuff is what really hits for me, and a lot of the goofy stuff is what, like, makes it so wholesome and fun, and it just seems to, when it does do it, it gets it, and it understands what it's portraying. I also kind of question, like, when it comes to a production standpoint of, like, how Jim, did Jim Carrey have somebody playing the sound effects while he was on set so that he could time it with what he did? Or did he just do that and then post, they saw that, like, oh, this fits? I can only assume 
that it was thought up prior. I'm just curious. I don't know. I was going to say I would have guessed it was post. In my mind, uh, I think Jim Carrey is just that good that he doesn't need sound effects. He just... He's summoning them. Literally, (laughs) Jim Carrey is... I... Listen, hot take, I think he's one of the most talented people ever. I haven't seen him in nearly enough stuff and nearly enough, like, meaty roles for me to have that much of an opinion on the matter. Listen, and it's not just because I think he's... It's not just the talent, it's the the fact that nobody does what Jim Carrey does. You know what I mean? Like, no one, no one can do the type of physical humor and, and faces and weird noises and voices the way that Jim Carrey can do it. And, you know, now this is just me talking about how much I love Jim Carrey, but I fucking love Jim Carrey, so I don't care. This is my podcast, too. Well, you are very much justified in this sense because he is just a living highlight reel when it comes to movies. Like, when he's on screen, you enjoy his presence because, you know, his over-the-top nature is just so infectious. You feel that energy. But to answer your question, Sean, about, you know, thinking about thinking about this movie comparing to, like, what we had before, it's awful because, like honestly like what it, this this move like the, the movies we had before were like straight up masterpieces and then moving on to here like even though it's like it's very much real fun. quick are you talking about the batman movies previously or holistically no no, no the batman the movies, okay I just the movies i i what slander are you trying to put on this I'm not, movie oh, no, i'm not trying to put, put slander it's just like you can't compare it to the previous movies because there's well well, yeah. well that's the thing they shouldn't be compared because exactly they're, but they're that's the thing though it's like they said this is like direct this is like a like a follow-up to those movies but it shouldn't be like the, the at that point you're like you're comparing like these you know as goofy certain moments were in the burton movies with you know obviously joker being such a silly character or whatever like they they were still at their core very serious movies. Oh yeah, and like, like they this, this is then something like that's not it's not going for that. You can't you can't grade it harshly on not achieving that. No, I know, it's not but like going it's, for it. it's just the fact that they they wanted uh, for this to be a sequel to the previous series. They they continuously mentioned the previous movies, and they even brought in some of the previous cast for it. So like what we'll see they did but they didn't they brought in a little bit of the previous cast but not a whole lot they recast most of your core characters um and do away with most of the plot lines it is one of those things it is technically supposed to be in continuity that said because of the response to batman returns and how dark it was and how kind of fucked up it was they came in at this with like we want this to be more of a kids movie and we want this to be an advertisement for happy meals and you know and that's why actually one of my issues with this movie is it doesn't always go full throttle jim carrey's such a strong suit in the movie because he's a through line he is the one thing you can always count on to be that enjoyable fun like fun goofiness um the movie as a whole every once in a while i think gets a little conflicted there is supposedly originally like another version of this movie that's like two hours and 40 minutes long and it's much more serious and it was like what schumacher wanted and they were like no 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 we want it goofier and he was like oh okay and but that's why it's sometimes a little inconsistent and that's why i think that's an issue but as a whole i, I agree i think you can't i think you can absolutely compare the two in the sense of you can have a per- burton and schumacher have very different visions and you can have a pref compare which vision you prefer i sure as fuck as pretty much almost everyone does prefer burton's vision that said but yeah you can't grade this off of what it's not trying to do you can't look at it and say well it's not doing this thing that the burton movies did because it's not trying to you got to look at how effectively a movie does what it is trying to do 
Um, and I think as a whole, it does run into that situation of there's inherent because it is technically in the same continuity or at least originally there is that natural comparison but the reality is is it's just going for such a different thing um well, that i don't think it, i don't think it's fair to line it up because it's, like, it's not trying to be that like you just you just can't compare it to the previous two movies because it's entirely its own thing like if you do try it like you know if you do try to you just you just you know you just putting this movie uh, that's what i'm trying to say i didn't word that word it very correctly but i'm just saying like you can't compare it to the previous movies because ultimately it'll be to the movie's detriment because it's so different and it's all ultimately you know so, like it's going for something completely different than the previous two movies and of course the quality isn't that great compared to the previous movies not because of you know because they didn't try but because you know they don't have like Tim Burton, Danny Elfman, and uh, Paul Paul and not I was about to say Paul Dini. It's not Paul Dini, but um, basically they had you know a like an all star cast working on those movies, and the movies were amazing. I still only partially agree with that in the sense of I think um, Schumacher. If you look at Schumacher's filmography, very incredibly talented director. Um, I I do think this movie lacks in comparison, especially cinematography and music. It is such a huge downgrade from the Burton films. That said, I wouldn't say it's low quality. I think the production quality in general is very high. I think it's a lot of fun. I think the design's great. Um, I think there's a couple really good shots in there. Like, I don't think it's like a low quality movie, even though I would put it. It's just it's it's less art artistic. I did, I should I shouldn't say low quality. I mean like how should I say it? It's like low quality since like the script isn't as tight and it's just stuff not like aiming that. is high exactly it's supposed to be it's like that's this thing though it's like joe schumacher is an amazing director but ultimately this is like a more like a studio film this is what the studio wanted this they wanted a kids movie i mean yeah but it's it just uh, the, again i agree with what you said i feel like it's it's just aiming for something different and that's why that kind of is okay it's a lot more lax in what it can do and it's a lot it has a lot more freedom to do what it wants as opposed to being you know something having to fit within a mold that tim burton had already created uh the other thing that i did want to mention that i i, I d none of us had talked to until you mentioned it jake um was that like uh i just the the cinematography is the one th one thing that i do feel is like I don't want to say heavy downgrade, but it definitely is a downgrade. And I don't mean that in the sense of like, um, like that the scenes aren't, you know, great, but more in the situation of like, there's a lot of camera use that just really doesn't make a lot of sense. A lot of, a lot of Dutch angles. They use a lot of Dutch angles, which is just really strange. And like, that's fine to a degree, but it's, I, the entire point of a Dutch angle is that you're supposed to be tilted sideways to give things a little bit of an, oh, something's not right here. It uh, because works. Because it's off, and it works in certain situations, yes. but it's used a lot in this, and it's yeah. kind of fucking weird. I just think that's, an, I'd like to circle back to how much we talked about Dutch angles being used so frequently in Batman 66, and my continuous case that this is basically a love letter to 60s Batman, it fits. I, no, like, I don't think it's, I don't think it's a bad choice. I just think that it's I, I the best way I could put it is that it's not done in a way where it feels goofy. They did it more in situations where things were like more in like action sequences. Like the one that I want to that I remember the first part is that first action sequence where Batman's in there and he's fighting all these goons right at the beginning. I also didn't like the editing of that situation because that was the only one where I was like the editing is kind of weird because it was shifting so much between different shot to different shot and going back and forth between so many 
portions of the actual sequence that it just was hard to keep track of what was going on. And uh, I, I don't know if that... Because it, it, it was the only time that that was a problem was the first fight scene. It was nothing else. So that was strange to me. But that was really the only part where it was a problem was in the beginning. Once it starts to get goofy and they have, like, the Dutch angles and things that, like, goofier scenes, that it's like, oh, this works. This makes sense and it goes along with what's happening and it's kind of like... It has that campy feel to it when it's something goofy is going on, but in the beginning, it's not like I had a sense of the tone and they start off with kind of an action sequence that I'm kind of like, I don't exactly get what this movie is going for until it gets into its own. Yeah, I think I'm definitely with you on the action too. I kind of think it would have been almost cool if they continued and shot the action almost in the like single cam style that they use in the 60s show and just like this straight away kind of like uncut um steady shot because it just would have fit the vibe well i actually think that's a really good uh really good point by you actually actually made it sound insulting um and in general i would just agree that it doesn't the imagery of the burton movies like tattoos itself on your brain this just isn't as memorable for any there's like not there's not shots or moments that like necessarily stick out with you at least not that jump to my mind right away what's the strangest is that they use the dutch angle effectively like um during almost all the scenes with enigma in the beginning are entirely shot in dutch angles which makes sense for the character because he's a loon so like you know you see that you see the use effectively but then you just see it used in like the action scene or just like why is this here it's a little confusing but i've been like a negative loon a little bit so i do want to talk about something i do like so like uh basically uh batman shows up to save the day uh he finds a chase and they immediately kiss and she immediately tells him to pay him uh, a night visit or a bat visit if you don't mind uh so uh bat batman is of course like a little conflicted because he thinks like you know he loves she loves batman and not bruce wang and so um we get a shot of chase in bed naked by the way uh and batman pays her the night visit and they start smooching, and she compliments his lips, but ultimately she chooses Bruce Wayne, and Batman was just, oh, okay, and turns around and makes, like, the <laughs> dumbest smile I have ever fucking seen. <laughs> and I was fucking laughing. I love that scene. Holy <laughs> so shit. It's so funny, because it's like, he still has the fucking Batman cowl on, so like, he right. still just has he, this like, has, ultra serious has, looking he, mask. He the Batman cowl at first, he's like looking at the camera so serious, and then you see the goofy ass smile. It's, it's, I loved that so much. I, that that was such a beautiful moment. That was, that was hilarious. It was so tense with sexual tension, but it ended with like a really like goofy, dorky smile, and it just made me laugh. That was comedic gold. One of the things that also wasn't brought up much, I, I feel like should be brought up, was the sets. The sets are goddamn fantastic. Even if oh, they're yeah. like, just like Two Faces Lair, I thought that was hilarious a little bit. It's just, and everything with Nigma, everything like with the riddler's whole like question marks everywhere when he has the giant <laughs> blender tower oh yeah like some sets where they only appear for like a couple minutes but they're humongous sets like uh, um the two faces lair it doesn't really show up again but it's a gigantic lair with you know with like layouts and 
oh, it, it looks so cool. Yeah, That's what I was going to say. <laughs> also also the riddler's drip is just out of this world this whole movie it switches so often but yeah, he's you know gotta... the, the weirdest thing is that the onesie is like the lamest one the drippiest thing about him is the way he's whenever he's like rolling the cane down his back he's so smooth that i'm like how did you get that coordinated because he's fucking jim carrey that this oh is what God. i'm saying his, no one else can do this. His I, cane game is on point. I would have loved to see outtakes of him dropping the cane. Oh, that just fucking really going flying. Listen, I bet they don't I, exist. I, I love the sound. <laughs> he just knew how to twirl a cane from the start. Uh, yes. Oh, another thing I should say is that the sound of when he taps the cane on the floor or stabs it in the ground is actually really fucking cool. Also, like the something about like the the styling of the Riddler in this movie when I was younger always reminded me of David Bowie. Like like the, Oh, I see that. The hair. The hair, yeah. yeah. I was going to mention that while we were watching. I it. when I was younger it always made me think of David Bowie and it was like this weird cross section of my life because I was really into Batman, I was also really into music and loved David Bowie still do. And like it was just this weird thing that of like this feels like my world's colliding even though they have nothing to do with each other like this has nothing to do with david bowie it just i just think he looks like him <laughs> it's just like the over the top costumes it just reminds you a little bit of david bowie especially like when he wears like the mask with like the sparkles right yeah oh and, yeah that one definitely. oh yeah and that like gave, his that hair david bowie like when he has like the pink hair and it's like up and although like, that's in, so bowie in his last appearance the riddler he has mugatu hair if you don't know who Mak Mugatu is, he is the villain antagonist of uh, Zoolander, and he's played by Will Ferrell. So, oh, you know what? This is my recommendation. Watch Zoolander. It's a pretty good movie. Yeah, no, I, I never put that together, but he does look like Bowie, which is my funny because Bowie life. was considered for Joker in 89. Oh, that's interesting. I don't know if you know that, but he was, yeah, Sam Hamm, one of the writers, like, really championed it. Obviously, it didn't happen. It went to Nicholson. No one's mad about that, but... Yeah, that's interesting. I didn't know that. Um, let me wrap this plot up because I got I definitely have some thoughts on the finale. It'll be interesting to hear you guys. Um, no. The, oh, okay, my bad. We end the podcast here. <laughs> no outro, nothing. <laughs> You're done. Cliffhanger. Um, at the Riddler's lair inside Nigma Tech headquarters, Robin almost kills Two-Face but spares him who holds him at gunpoint. Riddler then reveals that Chase and Robin are bound and gagged in tubes above a deadly drop, giving Batman the chance to save only one his love or his partner and asking if bruce wayne and batman can ever truly coexist batman distracts the Rid riddler with the riddle before destroying the riddler's brainwave receiver with a batarang overflowing the riddler's mind and disabling him uh, and allowing batman to rescue both robin and chase two-face corners them and determines their fate by flipping a coin but batman throws a handful of identical coins in the air causing two-face to stumble in confusion trying to find the right one and fall to his death Batman apprehends the Riddler and tells him that he is both Bruce Wayne and Batman, not because he needs to be, but because he chooses to be. Revenge is no longer Batman's all-consuming motivation, and he has come to terms with his duality. Committed to Arkham Asylum, Nigma explains that he is Bat that he is Batman due to his scrambled memories, which leads Chase to remark that he is truly insane. Um, or I believe we should call him a wacko, a clinical term or whatever they say. Yeah, uh, dumb joke. In the movie, <laughs> I, just, I just like. Oh, I remember just watching the movie and like, why do they think this is really funny? Her being like, "Wacko, oh, is that a technical term?" Anyway, uh, Bruce returns to uh, the returns the Malaysian Dream Warden that she gave him, remarking he no longer needs it. Bruce resumes his crusade as Batman with Robin as his partner. So, 
Um, yeah, what's up, Sean? I was going to say, the other thing we didn't mention was also that, like, Two-Face only flips his coin, like, four times during his entire movie. Oh, yeah. I found that the dumbest shit because it was, like, so pointless. I am going to defend that a little bit because, um, he flipped the coin basically saying, uh, whether he'll go with Enigma's plan or not. And he flipped it and yes, so I assumed he didn't really need to do it again because, you know, throughout this entire movie, he's going with the plan. So he doesn't really need to do it on occasion. Although, like, I feel like I find it kind of weird because, like, um, this kind of goes my goes back to my criticism of Two-Face before where there was a scene where they were going in, uh, raiding uh, Batman's house. I call him Batman, it's Bruce Wayne. But Bruce Wayne's house and he can't like go into the fight because every time he flips a coin, it goes onto like the good side. But he, he just kept flipping it every time it was on the good side. He just kept flipping it, flipping it, flipping it until it got on the bad side and then he shot Bruce Wayne. I, I, that's not how it works, right? Because um, That often is how it works. Really? Yeah, he'll listen to the coin, but also like he's gonna like it's basically two sides of war. Yeah, that's that's very two face. Um, I would say. But I actually yeah, one of my issues in general is so one, I think there's some kind of subpar lighting throughout the finale. It's kind of poorly lit at points where you can't quite make out like people. As a whole, I actually do think it's kind of a fun finale. Like I enjoy it well enough and I think it is somewhat it's somewhat clever the way um so the characters in terms of the resolutions um robin has a surprisingly good arc surprisingly solid arc for such a silly movie though i think if two-face had survived it would have been better because it would have made it a little more complete if he had continued to live and exist after robin chooses not to kill him and i do like batman basically allowing robin to make that choice for himself and then in terms of batman's arc they try to conclude it in a way that he uses Riddler and Two-Faces, like, neuroses against them to defeat them while conquering his own and, you know, conquering his own duality and realizing he can coexist as Bruce and Batman because he chooses to be and he's not compelled by vengeance, though, and just like Robin isn't. And they're ultimately defeated by Two-Face by his compulsion to flip the coin and Riddler by his compulsion, his obsession with these riddles. But I don't think that's set up super well. Um... To go off of what Sean said, that's, like, the larger issue I think that's caused by him not using the coin too prominently in the movie. I never felt like Two-Face is, like, riddled by, like, crippled by the fact that he has to flip the fucking coin. So when it comes back to bite him, it doesn't feel that fulfilling. And he doesn't have, because as we talked about earlier, he doesn't really have two different personalities. He's just always goofy Two-Face, really. It doesn't make, like, the dual his comparison of his duality to Bruce's fit because you don't see it. I'll defend it a little bit. There is some buildup. It's not strong. It's very weak. But there is buildup. Like, uh, in the beginning of the film, I think near the beginning of the film, Chase does mention that, oh yeah, it was when she was, like, super horny for Batman, and she called him. Uh, it, she mentioned that, basically, the coin was, uh, Two-Face's weakness, is that he can't make this, make a decision without it. And that was it. That was, that was all she said. And, uh, we completely forgot about it for, like, the rest of the film, until that very moment. Well, it is, I didn't forget about it, but it, that's in case of show and not tell oh yeah like, it's to, just like her saying that is not enough setup you need to demonstrate how this 
there is no demonstration of it actually really crippling his effectiveness oh, as a yeah. criminal and in his daily oh, yeah. life. And in general, again, we do not even see him have two different personalities. So the whole mirroring of Bruce's duality and coming to terms with that and the fact that he is controlled by the accident and then Bruce and Dick both get over their tragedies doesn't fit because you don't really see it effectively. And it's it's a kind of too little too late at the end. And I appreciate the effort, but I think some of that may come from the fact that this started out more serious before becoming no this is going to be a goofy movie and that's where it doesn't blend as well it needs to go full throttle one way or the other well that's the thing though is like at the end you got to see a little bit of the good side of two-face how he mentions like how bruce wayne was such a good friend to him i'm like why do we see this in the rest of the film you know it would be more a way more interesting dynamic if he had two separate personalities and they had a chance right they had a chance to for bruce wayne to interact with two-face right in the circus scene when uh bruce when he broke in he was still dressed as bruce wayne maybe he could have talked to uh two-face for a little bit and we get to see you know the the district attorney side of two-face instead of you know the wacky villain i realized we also never talked about i know jake mentioned this while we were watching the movie but when two-face becomes two-face during the court oh the yeah court proceeding in batman just oh yeah as soon <laughs> as acid falls on his face batman like it looks like he jumps from the crowd to save him he batman is actively sitting in like the court like fucking pews what do you call them benches and he's like in full back costume jumping out and and that's actually something i really like because it feels so in keeping with the movie and so fitting for what it's going for and for the comics for the area of batman that it's pulling from that you would have a fully dressed up batman in court right. he's just like i'm ready i'm ready at any moment <laughs> oh but i do want to mention like the way they defeat riddler it had good it had like a good payoff but like they didn't really build up like how they'll defeat him like they he kind of just like he made a riddle i forgot what it was but he just distracts him with the really lame what am i and the answer is blind as a bat yeah and then like he just destroys the machine and just messes with riddler's mind but we didn't really like you know know what was going on until like we saw like the aftermath we, we, no we no they, they throughout the movie they talk about how it's the, the machines funneling funneling the stuff into his head but it's also messing with it like and it's not good so it's taking on too much at once oh, and then so his brain swells because it? it was basically oh, everything came in at once oh, and his brain couldn't handle okay it. N- never mind then i well i mean to kind of like touch on that yeah i never really got the that that whole duality part of like riddler being obsessed with riddles either although obviously he has like the riddles that he's sending to Batman, all the stuff like all the question marks around and like yes there's that but when it comes to a head and the ending is more when it gets like really weird and confusing because i don't take batman saying a riddle to the riddler as him being as him as like oh he's obsessed with riddles that's his whole thing he's compulsed by riddles no i just take that as like distraction i gave you stupid thing that made you waste your time i just take it more as like stupid distraction more than anything else than what way they than what they could have supposedly it would have been a lot better if you had made the riddle a less of an obvious riddle and be something more personal something that would have really dug at him as a character and the issues he had with his his clear inferiority complex and feeling the need to put himself on top like there's things you could have done that i could buy while it would upset him and distract him so much but it's just kind of a really goofy riddle that even a kid could get so it's like that is the thing that like made him have to like sit down and put him in like it's just it it, it's a nice attempt but it doesn't really land for me it doesn't yeah it doesn't really ring true especially when it's the situation of like they're they've already gone into like he's getting a lot of 
He's getting a lot more in his head. Uh, I don't know how better to phrase that than him getting all of that shit going into his brain. Uh, so they, they make the comment that, like, as he's going, as he's, like, going forward, his riddles are becoming more unhinged kind of situation in that he's, like, able to come up with more thought-provoking riddles, if that's the best way to put it. Like, stuff that requires a bit more thought to process and get to the end, end result of the riddle. So, like, to have that be the thing, that it's, like, something so easily understandable and something that makes... That, again, anybody who's watching could really figure out in, like, a second that it just really doesn't make sense as to why is that the thing he gets stuck on? Why is that the thing that confuses him out of everything else? I heard more confusing riddles when we started this with uh, Nygma, but Batman manages to, you know, distract him with this one riddle that requires so much thought to figure it out when it's yeah, really I mean, not that I hard. will say I do like the end end of this movie. I think the scene of Dr. Meridian going into Arkham, like this shadowy Arkham to figure out if Riddler knows who Batman is and then the, him jumping out and thinking he's Batman and that like the tenseness and the relief is, is, is pretty well done and well shot. And I ultimately love the end shot of them run Batman and Robin running away from the bat signal together coming from opposite sides i don't know the scenario where that happened but it's, it's one of those things where it's just like it looks cool and that's more than enough um oh also we totally forgot great homage to adam west batman when he drives up a wall in the batmobile and you God. see all the people on the side of the God. building well there's that what about the holy whatever holy the rusted batman. metal batman yeah. Hol- yes the holy rusted metal we never mentioned oh, that i had at plans all. to um, oh we didn't even mention like after he destroys like after he really destroys the bat cave he still has the bat boat and the bat wing and the bat the way the way they revealed that one was pretty cool because it's just hanging upside down in like the middle of the cave and that's that really cool this wikipedia synopsis did not help us to, to no. praise this movie i feel like every point i feel like that's the problem is that like there's so much that's good about this movie and i hate that it's the plot is the <laughs> one thing that we're like what the fuck well that's just, that's the thing though it's just like the plot is the weakest point but like a lot of other stuff is his strength like the performances um um, the aesthetic, the uh, the, the sets, and the co- uh, well, yeah, the costume design is also pretty fun. I mean, yeah, they're bat nipples, and there's a bat ass, but you know, they're they're fun. Don't forget the bat cod I... piece and the um, every oh god, all the costumes are so costumed. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I just I just know that I I feel bad because I feel like it's just every single point that I mention is like me being like, oh wow, that did well, it's... that suck. But it's like, I loved this movie in the little parts because it was so goofy and it was so fun. And like, bat nipples, you can't be. Well, the thing nipples. is, Sean, is that like, it's just unfortunate that the plot is like the weakest part and we have to read that for the synopsis. Does anyone have any thoughts on the ending specifically before we go into wrap up thoughts? Uh, no, not, not really. <laughs> okay. No, no yeah, I have neither. Really. <laughs> I liked it. I mean, like, it was I fine. Can't... I can't speak much towards it because, like, I yeah, just, it's like, I liked it. It's, I, it's it's a it's a decent ending. Like, there's nothing that really needs to be said. It, yeah, I feel like it, for me, like, it's fine. It's nothing incredible, but as far as plot goes, no part of this movie was necessarily masterfully written or thought out. This is more so of a fun kind of wholesome vibe kind of movie. So it it fit that it wasn't necessarily the biggest grandiose ending it was fine all right yeah i mean also so 
my least favorite thing about the movie has got to be Two-Face. Um, I know we gave lots of nitpicks here and there, lots of criticisms here and there, um, and the general kind of confliction of tone at points. But my biggest issue is Two-Face. It's the thing that, like, I think you cast someone else, it's better. You cast Billy Dee Williams, it's better. You take him out entirely, it's better. You make him more serious and keep Tommy Lee Jones, it's better. Like, but Two-Face just doesn't work. They don't lean into the duality. They don't lean into the neuroses enough. He's just too goofy. He's not on the right wavelength trying to outdo Jim Carrey, and you're just never going to do that. Um... My favorite thing, and maybe this is a cop-out answer, is just the camp in general. Um, for better or worse, I love a movie that you can feel the fingerprints of the director on, and I feel like this feels like Joel Schumacher. If you've ever seen The Lost Boys, um, fantastic Joel Schumacher film. You can't watch Schumacher's other stuff and say, as much as there was studio involvement in this, you can still see him shining through. Uh, and that is like decisions like the bat nipples, which at this point I've kind of come fully around on. Um, they're supposed the the bat ass plates and cod pieces and nipples is supposed to like model like Greek statues and Greek gods, and I I respect it and I think it actually kind of weirdly fits with the rest of the movie. I think Gotham looks I think Gotham isn't necessarily I don't think it looks quite as good as the Burt movies and I think some of that's just because it's not shot as pretty. But in general, the look of Gotham with these giant ridiculous statues and the statues that are holding up bridges is great. The blacklight gang and that whole section of town that's just all blacklight is awesome. Um, Bruce Wayne's fucking slutty circle glasses. Nicole Kidman is a queen. Um, she's actually genuinely great doing all the right stuff in this. Um, the holy rusted metal Batman I wanted to bring up. That just like the, the, the love for 60s Batman in that era um, of comics and of Batman specifically is fantastic. To find a way to homage the ridiculous Robin, holy whatever's into this. Oh no, it's like it is holy, like holes rusted metal. It's just, it, it's so fun and it works for me. The corny ending with the running away, it's just the camp. It's just as a whole, the camp and everything that that encompasses is the best part of it and is why the movie works despite its flaws for me. I totally understand why if I was, if I was in 1995 and I was going to see this movie, I'd probably hate it because I would have been coming off of Batman Returns and Mask of the Phantasm in 89 and been like, what the fuck is this? But as someone who watched it actually for the first time as a kid, when I would, hadn't even seen the Burton movies yet and can have like a complete detachment and no expectations, I think the movie was good. I think it is genuinely good at what it's doing. I think it's enjoyable and I 100% recommend it. I just think it's a fun time. It may not be for everyone if you're not into that goofy camp shit, but I think it is very much successful at what it's trying to be. Yeah, my somewhat going along with your least favorite part, but more specifically, I my least favorite part is just that they recast harvey dent i think billy d williams like obviously he's a legend he's an icon and i think he would have done so well as as two-face and i think it sucks that he didn't get that chance uh to be two-face um and my favorite part is just jim carrey in general like him throughout this whole movie is he's so he's just so entertaining to watch anytime he's he's in a scene he's just he's he has everyone's attention he's he's that kind of guy in anything that he's in um and and i think he's fantastic in this he's such a good riddler um yeah i have no shortage of praise for jim carrey and specifically in this role uh i love it i love it very much um so yeah this movie i think is is like jake said it's doing doing what it's doing very well and what it's doing isn't you know, a Tim Burton or a Mask of the Phantasm type vibe. It's, it, you know, if, if you're expecting that, it's like eating a cheeseburger and being like, this is the worst fucking pizza I've ever had. It's not pizza. That's, that's why. 
you know, you can't go into it expecting something else. So just watch it and have a fun time. Don't think too hard about it. Just enjoy the stupid bullshit that's happening. And I recommend it. Well, to avoid sounding like a broken record, I'm not going to say the Tommy Lee Jones part because that's what everyone's going to say. So I'm just going to try to find something new. Uh, Probably just be like the plot. It doesn't really... uh, Makes sense. It's really goofy, but like in the end, it's what's aiming for. You're not really supposed to think about it. You're just supposed to enjoy it. So you know, that's what you get. And for what it aimed for, like the campiness, I like the campiness, especially Jim Carrey. He is the star of the show. He takes over once he is on screen. You can't take your eyes off him, especially when Tommy Lee Jones is there, because you don't want to look at him. And luckily, every time Tommy Lee Jones is on screen, Jim Carrey's there. So, you know, it makes up for it. And so you can still enjoy yourself while you're watching this stupid Two-Face. Anyway, yes, I recommend it. It is ultimately campy fun. It's, yeah, it's a, it's a decent film. Um, it was really hyped up for me uh, from, from Jake. And I didn't, I didn't, like, enjoy it as much as I anticipated, but I still liked it. It's still a decent film. Oh, I can't wait for you to see the next one. Yeah. <laughs> I, I am going to try to approach that with an open mind. But I, I, I'll try. I'll try to enjoy it. I'll try to go in with an open mind. Um. So, yeah, I'll start with my least favorite thing. I think my least favorite thing is probably the inconsistency in the tone. Primarily in the beginning parts is where it's more of an issue than it is towards the end of it. But I know that I, I, I just wish it would have it felt like in the beginning it was definitely unsure of whether to pick a lane or not and then it eventually goes into its own and does pick a lane uh but it it definitely comes off a little weird in the beginning and doesn't give me the when i'm first watching it my first impressions from the first act don't make me it it makes it a little bit more difficult to understand where the film wants to be and where it wants to go and then later on again like i said it does come into its own but it just takes a little bit for it to get there and that's like probably my least favorite part of it it's just it trying the movie itself trying to get to that point uh my favorite thing is I, I would give it to the performances of everyone, honestly. There isn't really... I, as much as I don't think Tommy Lee Jones should have been doing what he was doing at all, uh, I think aside from that, like the performances are still great because it feels like everybody... At the very least, everybody understood what kind of movie this was and everybody sort of knew what they were doing. And it just... It, it comes across that everybody is kind of there for the same reason and they all get what's going on. And I appreciate that at the very least, while there may be some portions of the performances that I wish were done differently, I still think that everybody in the film knew what they were going for. And it's just, it's, it's nice to see that cohesion with it. And I, the other thing I'd just add to that is that like this movie is such a great goofy fun time. There's n- I it I this is gonna be a weird thing, but like it just reminds me so much as like a, of being a kid because I remember watching this movie when I was little so much. Uh so like I I it just gives me weird memories of like back when I was just a little kid. So like I it had it holds a nostalgic place in my heart and I would definitely recommend it and it's goofy fun time. All right, well uh. Thank you to Vode Mort for our artwork. That's V-O-D-M-O-R-T-E uh, for all of the podcast art. You can follow me, Jake, 
on Letterboxd at JakeWalter98. I got a list going of all the podcast movies ranked, um, amongst other things and other reviews. Um, spoilers, because we record these ahead of time, so the list will be past where we're at. Uh, Jason? Plug. I made the intro and outro music for this podcast, and I make other music. That's snippet is from a song I'm working on. It's gonna be on an EP. I make music. Uh, you can follow me on Instagram at the Upsides PA, Twitter at the underscore Upsides PA. I'm on SoundCloud, The Upsides. You can find me, listen if you want. All right, and if you're interested in continuing to check out the podcast, uh, you can find us on Twitter and Instagram at illiterate underscore pod. Uh, our email is culturallyilliteratepod at gmail.com. If you want to send us your thoughts or any comments or questions, uh, episodes are on YouTube as well. The channel's name is just Culturally Illiterate Podcast. And uh, next episode, we'll be concluding our Batman-a-thon with the infamous and iconic Batman and Robin. And I will try to be making a Schumacher fan out of Matt. God, I want it so bad. I want uh, that. Yeah, en- enjoy. All I can say, I'm going to be attempting to be open-minded.